You are now in queue to join Game from the Gamers, a podcast where good friends gaming on PS4 talk about life, movies, relationships, other random shit, and, well, obviously, video games. Starring Chad, Garcia, Trey, Xavier, Daryl, and Corey. Let us put you on game. Game from the Gamers is brought to you by Exquisite Podcast Radio Network. Shout out to Exquisite. Xavier, I'm hearing basketball horns. Are you playing 2K? Is that what you're doing right now? Yeah, we're not doing that. We're not. We're not playing 2K. You're not gonna be able to play uh, 2K and do an interview because you're gonna be cussing and hollering, and we know you can't (laughs) do that. Okay. Um, just so you know, play. uh, I'm gonna play uh, Daxus then. Deus X. Oh, also Xavier can't talk. So you kind of got to, like, infer what he's talking about from what he's saying. So Dex is... That's fair. I can't talk either. So we'll be a good pair. Got you. Dex is... I just happen to... to I say names wrong all the time. Like, it's it's a really bad habit of mine. Like, yesterday at work, a lady I talk to every day. We talk about Game of Thrones. We talk about all these, like, crazy, like, mind-boggling shows. And I called her by the wrong name. I've been talking to her for like three months. I felt so bad. Like her name is Betsy. And I was like, hey, Mary. And she was like, huh? And I was like, oh, man. Like, I apologize. I messed your name up. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) How do you do that? I don't know. That's talent. It's a bad habit. I'm trying to get better, man. And I talk to her every day. That's, That's the bad part about it. And we live episode 29. And we are back with Try to do this. Another remix to Ignition, hot and fresh out the kitchen. Another rendition, an expedition, all facts, no fiction. A dosage of comedy not recommended by your pediatrician. That not yet approved by the FDA nutrition. That call me Sally Mae. And this is your tuition that, hmm, that don't sound too good. Could be a transmission. Another edition from the livest of tacticians. I just got an STD test from my physician. When you move, how I move, be careful and conscious of your position. That 2018. So if you want the cheeks, please get written permission. Damn, this intro is wrong. So let's take a brief intermission. The game from the gamers podcast. Let's get it. I'm hyped. I'm hot. <laughs> Don't you laugh at me, man. I got to add on to it every week. I'm hyped, okay? This is going to be a dope, dope, dope episode. First and foremost, I'm here with Xavier. Xavier, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Doing really good. How about you? I'm, I'm doing pretty good today. We have an interview. Someone else has decided to jump on this podcast. Why? I have no idea. Um, we are joined this week. And, and, and Megan, you're going to have to excuse me if I butcher your last name. Is it Fausty? You did it perfectly. Thank oh, you. Man, that's crazy because when George came on, I forgot to ask his name before we started. And then I looked at it in my notes and almost threw up because I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to say Huffnagel. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's like all consonants. Yeah, it's uh, what H-U-F-N-A-G-L. And there's like no A's. Or eyes to separate the flow of his name. He should get that rewritten. Yeah. He should get that redone. <laughs> um, the reason I bring up George is because 
you guys have one thing in common, one dope thing in common, and that's you guys worked on Battle Chef Brigade. So I want to talk to you about that. But before we get into that, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell the people about who Megan Fosty is. Sure. Um, so, hey, everybody listening. Um, I am Megan Fosty. I'm the narrative designer for Battleship Brigade. Uh, I currently work for Adult Swim Games, and I've been in the games industry for four years now. Um, so that's pretty much, I've been with Adult Swim the whole time. So it's pretty much all there is to know about me. Wow. Just learned a little bit right there. Didn't know that you worked directly with Adult Swim. So you had no, you, you're not employed with Trinket Studios like George was. I was and wasn't. So it was kind of a weird thing. Um, so <laughs> Trinket was looking for a writer uh, for their game um, and basically put out an anonymous call for writers. Uh, I submitted my work anonymously and they happened to pick it in the running from like a bunch of different other writers, including some like professional manga writers. Uh, so basically they uh, picked my work and then I got to have a fun conversation with my boss because I didn't tell my boss that I had done that. Um, <laughs> uh, but luckily they let me uh, write for it anyway. And so that's kind of how that ended up happening. So I worked for Trinket, but got paid by Adult Swim is basically how that shook up. Ooh, we, ooh, we, ooh, we. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I hope you didn't make your boss mad. No, no, it was fine. She was just kind of like, really? Did, did you need to do this? And I was like, I did though. This is like my dream. And I, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> I, it's, it's about the little guys, you know, and girls. I like that. I like that. Um, wow, that's that's crazy. So you said you did you okay? And before I steal your thunder, Xavier, and feel free to chime in at any time. Um, what did you did you go to school majoring in in writing then, like an English major? Sort of. So I got a film degree from Georgia State University here in Atlanta. Um, but at the time that I got my degree, we didn't actually have like concentrations in the major. So I just took as many screenwriting courses as I could. Um, but that was never like an official part of the degree. It's just what I focused in. Um, but yeah, I've been writing all my life. Like I used to write like family plays as a kid and like wrote a ton of fan fiction in middle school. And um, so, yeah, I've been <laughs> I've been writing since I could. <laughs> That's a lot of that's a lot of writing. I don't think I I really I had a little journal when I was young, but I overall my handwriting was real sloppy. So I didn't like writing because I ain't like looking at it. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I, I'm the same way. <laughs> my yeah. handwriting is actually really terrible. Maybe that's just the genius in us, you know? I don't know. I right. don't know. That left handedness. Oh, you left handed shout out to the left handed people. Oh, this dude. Yeah. <laughs> this dude. I don't want to. I don't want to steal too much thunder, Xavier. We just gonna pass it back and forth, man. And please, would you join the squad on Killing Floor uh, Two so that we can play? Invite this dude, please, please, this please, dude please, right please. here. By the way, um, Megan, what are you playing right now? Because we are we are playing some some games here. What are you playing? Yeah. So right now I'm uh, playing Overwatch. Very competitive game right now. Yes, which is funny because like I'm not really a very competitive gamer. Really. This one just gets me. That's interesting. That is interesting. So what games do you normally uh, like to play? 
Ooh, I love, um, unsurprisingly, very uh, narrative-driven games and RPGs in particular. So, like, Dragon Age Inquisition is probably my favorite game of all time. Interesting. I, I was going to ask you that question. I figured since you were a writer, I figured you were going to go RPG. How do you yeah. feel about Dragon Age 1, though? You think it's better than Inquisition? Because those are my favorite two out of the series. Yeah, uh, I actually don't. And I know a lot of people do. And I know, actually, a lot of people don't particularly like Inquisition. But I come from, like, a, a WoW background. It was one of the first games that I really loved. Um, and so I liked that I didn't have to kind of get into all of the very meticulous, uh, like, character plotting. Because, you know, in Dragon Age Origins, every time you have to fight something, it's kind of this ordeal where you're, like, setting everything up and taking a lot of time to make sure that everything is correct. But in Inquisition, you could kind of just, like, roll through the game, you know what I mean? And, like, attack things, uh, not brainlessly, but much more easily without having that kind of stopping of the action, uh, which I preferred. Yeah. Mm. I, I, know, I know what you're saying, because in Dragon Age 1, like... You would go fight some. You would go fight someone and say someone else in your party they didn't agree with you fighting that particular person. Like it would alter the whole story. Like I know what you're saying. Like sometimes you lose party members due to like you fighting someone or making the wrong decision. So yeah, actually I didn't like that. I didn't like that either. Because sometimes it'd be someone that I feel like I really needed in my party, and then I will lose them over something stupid. So I, I do agree with that point. I do agree with that. Uh, yeah. Do you, Do you like Inquisition or? Uh... Or Origins I better? Actually, um, I haven't finished Inquisition at all. Um, I let my little sister borrow it, but I got pretty far. I did I did like it. I did like the fact that you could make, um, what was it, the Canari? I did like that you could make uh, like a Canari character. I think that yes. was the thing I, I liked most about that game. But I need to finish it, though. I need to finish it. Yeah, I loved it. Sounds like I need to start it because <laughs> I'm lost right now. What is a Canari? Is that a knife? Is that a knife of some kind? What is that? Um, what would you what would you describe them as like an orc uh, type of character? Yeah, they're a race. They're like kind of between an orc and like a, a draenei from Warcraft because they have like horns um, oh. and and kind of like the cloven hoof look to them. But they're not like inherently evil or anything. Gotcha. Uh, there, there is some like you know. Uh, like natural born warriors, basically. Yeah, they're kind of Klingon esque in some ways, I guess, but not as much as like the Char from Guild Wars or anything like that. Okay, okay. Well, I'm f I'm familiar with World of Warcraft, and I'm. Are you still playing that now? Is that something that you're still into? Oh God, yes. I just started playing again, uh, which I shouldn't have done. I shouldn't have done that. Um, you never should. You should never start playing WoW again because <laughs> it's, you know, it's just like so addicting. <laughs> oh, trust me, um, I know. Our uh, our fellow co-host and my brother actually, Chad, he uh, he he started playing when we were in high school. Stopped playing for a couple years, picked it back up. Stopped playing a couple years again, then picked it back up for another couple years. It's an on and off thing, and he just throws money into it. It's it sounds awful. Great game, sounds awful though. I don't want to be yeah, dumping yeah. money like that. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. And, like, a lot of time gets spent. And I'm the type of person I have, like, a lot of characters. So, like, that's also not good. How many characters do you have? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I have, like, t 
two full servers, one horde, which is like my preferred faction, and then one alliance. Um, and on both those servers, I have on the horde server, almost everyone is like 80 or above. Um, Yo. Because I, I started playing during Wrath of the Lich King, so that was my first introduction to WoW. Okay. And then uh, the Alliance server only has, I think, two or three characters that are over 80. But. Wow. That's a lot of grinding uh, and a lot of money. How long did that take you, do you think? Ooh. Um, well, if I did my slash played, let's just say I would be very uh, depressed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's been over like a period of years. So like most of that I did while I was still in high school and like didn't have responsibilities. And so now I can just kind of like do a few characters at a time. That that's scary. That is really scary. I, I, I'd, I'd be scared to hear what that number is as well. So we just going to dive away <laughs> from that just so, yes. <laughs> uh, so we don't get, uh, off kilter here. Cause I want to hear about, um, this whole narrative design thing. I think we've kind of got the gist of it from what you're explaining. Um, I'm curious, like you said, it was a dream of yours. You told your boss like that, that is a dream. How did that become a dream? How did you find out about that being a job, a process that you were interested in? Yeah. Um, it's funny because like in games, you don't ever really think about that, or at least I didn't, you know, like, obviously, like I said, I got a film degree. I knew that being a writer was a thing in film, um, and I knew that being a game designer was a thing, but I thought you needed to have an, like a really incredible knowledge of programming in order to do that, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't have. Like, I, don't, I just don't have that skill set. Um, but basically, uh, I came out of school and started an internship actually writing for the website at adultswim.com. Uh, And at that time, the games team and the dot-com team were the same because Adult Swim Games started making Flash games back in the day. Uh, And they needed a production assistant when games split off to become their own department. So I did that. And that's when my world sort of opened up and I realized, like, oh, there are tons of game jobs that exist. Uh, Since Adult Swim Games is a publisher, almost Mm -hmm. no one there knows how to program. Uh, which was huge for me. Like, I thought that you had to be, like, a programmer extraordinaire to be a part of the games industry at all. Um, So then I found out not only do multiple different types of jobs exist, but, of course, uh, people need writers for their games. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) And so narrative design in particular is kind of a game designer light uh, and writer mishmash role. Uh, so basically you need to understand how games work. You need to have some kind of background in that, uh, which I only have the background from actually working in the industry. One of the things that I would do a lot whenever I could is like finish all my work early, uh, and basically give creative feedback on the games that we were making. And so that's really when I started to understand the formal elements of games, like things like game feel and like what makes a game look good, because that's something that you don't really think about much when you're actually playing. You just know whether a game looks and feels good, but you don't actually sit and think like, why does Overwatch feel better to me than 
Team Fortress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Focusing a lot um, on the actual gameplay. Yes, exactly. And so, like, those are the sorts of things that you have to think about in narrative design specifically, and that's what makes it slightly different than a writer role, because as a writer, you know, it's, it's, it is purely writing, as the title suggests, but narrative designer is more like, okay, so I'm going to do writing, um, obviously, but also, like, how can I surface a game narrative in a way that's fun and interesting and interactive? Uh, because games are a unique challenge for writers, because they are interactive. Mm. Interesting. I'm happy you brought that point up because I actually researched it because when um, I seen that you were a narrative designer, I was like, okay, well, is this just a typical traditional writer? And that's kind of what I, I found out. I think the quote was, gameplay is what we do. The story is actually like why we do it. So it actually makes sense now. Like what you do affects more so of the actual like gameplay. Even though you, I feel like for you, I think it's an advantage that you probably are a writer because you can probably see it from both sides of the coin, I think, in a way, just assuming here. Yeah, and so it's different for every studio and every project, too, because some um, studios will do it so that the narrative designer is more of a writer role, and some have writers and narrative designers. So the narrative designer is really much more like game designer. Um, so my role on Battleship specifically is much more of a writer role. I, I don't want to like try to take credit for any of the amazing work that like Ben and Tom have done because um, they're the developers. And then Eric, of course, is our creative director. Mm -hmm. uh, so for my part on that, I did much more of the actual like writing, but I would make some visual decisions. Uh, like one of the very subtle ones that you can see in Battleship is uh, the way that Thorn and Mina speak. So Thorn is this Huntress character who is like a thousand percent done with you basically all the time. Um, and one of the ways that you can tell that visually is that there are these kind of huge gaps in between her sentences when she speaks because she's speaking kind of soft and low and bored um, and tired because she basically has a perma hangover. Um, so that like visual space helps contribute to her character. So that's like a one way to visually distinguish her from the other character dialogue in the game. Uh, and then Mina has this tilde that I use instead of a dash when she's like stumbling. So if she says like, y yes, you see a tilde there instead of a dash because basically it's like a little bit more cutesy and feminine, um, but it's also like supposed to show visually that she's wavering about mm, something. Mm. That make, okay, that makes sense. So that's almost visual as well as it is, um, I guess, comprehending as far as the story goes. So you got to really be paying attention to really get to know these characters. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I really, man, I don't think I could do this. This sounds complicated. I'm not going to lie to you. X, I don't think I could be a narrative designer. I don't think I, I, I look at, it's almost like okay, so George is a telling way of thinking. Yeah, so George and I we connect because we tell stories through sound and how things are perceived mentally. And to me, that makes more sense than literally how it's written. Sometimes I feel like the writing should carry itself, but that doesn't seem to be the case. You guys are putting in some extra work. It sounds like to really figure out what makes each character different. Yeah, absolutely. And also what makes each player different, because, like, 
I mean, in mediums like television or film, you do have to think about how different people are going to experience your product a little bit. But in games where you're literally sort of giving the player a space and saying, like, have fun, this is yours now. Um, <laughs> you know, there's like so much more that can happen, so much more that they get to discover for themselves. So you have to be super cognizant of the fact that the way that you write something isn't necessarily going to be the way that it's experienced by the player. So you guys basically have to think about certain questions that the player might actually ask and probably have the answers to them as well. Um, I'm yeah. Assuming, in a way. Yeah, or at least try to try to anticipate it. You can never like fully anticipate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to like is there ever a time where you have to account for like trolls? You know people are going to try to troll your game. I feel like people live to do that sometimes. Is there ever, like, a writing situation where you have to compensate for, like, something really weird that someone might do? I haven't had to deal with that a lot from a writing standpoint. Um, just because Battleship Brigade is pretty linear, and there's not, like, you know, if there were dialogue options, I would probably have to be much more cognizant of that sort of thing. Um but yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. I'm not sure how I would deal with that. I think it would depend on the game itself and like how it's composed. Okay. Okay. Because people do like, I think about like Metal Gear Solid and how people will do trolly things there like just to be funny or try to like hit characters you're not supposed to hit or things like that. So I was always curious as to how you compensate for that without breaking the game or doing something weird. But um that's yeah, that's that's interesting. I I'm actually curious about um George gave us his I guess explanation of what Battle Chef Brigade is. Can you explain to us in your words what this game is, what people are are looking to I guess invest their their money in cuz I think it's a dope game, but I think a lot of people maybe are are sleeping on this one to be honest cuz it's dope. What what is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, but uh, a good weird. Uh, so it's basically a fantasy Iron Chef competition when boiled down to its like very basic parts. So what I mean by fantasy is like orcs and elves and goblins and that sort of thing. Uh, but the story at its heart is about Mina Han, who is a woman who has always dreamed of joining the eponymous Battle Chef Brigade because they're the premier culinary institution in her world. And food in this world is, like, the biggest possible deal. So, like, basically everything in the world revolves around cuisine and how it's made and who makes it. Uh, so this world, Victuja, is inhabited by monsters, um, and the Battleship Brigade is one of the only organizations that can effectively uh, hunt and kill them without getting killed themselves, basically. Mm. Uh, so it's really important that they keep the monster population under control in order to, you know, save the sentient races of Victusia because the monsters are basically sort of evil and they don't really have, you know, souls. So uh, okay. you don't have to feel like super horrible about killing them, even though some of them are really cute. <laughs> Which ones in particular do you find to be absolutely precious by nature? So the cheap cheat is is pretty damn adorable. Uh, it's like a little bird thing with one eye, 
Um, and it's it's so cute that it's literally like our loading icon in the game. <laughs> so when you like load anything, it goes to like a black screen with like a little cheap G running around. <laughs> that's really that's really cool. It's like a little Pikachu. Ah. Yeah, they're super cute. The game reminds me of that anime show, man. Uh, Food Wars, uh, Sonoki, I think. I've seen it. I've seen it before, but it's kind of like the same theme. Like you know, food within this like terrain is like very popular, and people have to like go work for this like renowned school. But the you know, anime they kind of push the uh, lines of food sense, like satisfaction. Like the show is kind of like weird. Like when people eat certain dishes, it's like they have orgasms. Like it's really weird, but it's like a really popular anime show right now. I don't know if you heard of it, but. Yeah, yeah it's, we actually get it's a really lot of popular. comparisons. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure I butchered the name. I just know it's Food Wars. And like I said, I think it's Shonagoki. But I've watched it a couple of times. Like, the story is pretty vivid. It's pretty good. But, you know, the first time you see it, Corey, it's like, I think, a, like, a lady eats, like, a really good, like, strawberry, like, cheesecake or something. And then it's, like, her body, like just like has like orgasms and then like the dudes like it's the same thing like it's really weird but like once you get over that you're like all right it's actually a cool anime show but it's, it's similar to that man the weird things they do in animes so you said you get a lot of comparisons with that yes even though our game is like there's none of that like fan servicey stuff in it um but because of the sort of anime look and the fact that it revolves around food we do get a lot of comparisons so I actually purposely stayed away from Food Wars. Uh, I saw oh, like the first episode, uh, but I didn't want to kind of fall into a trap where I was like, oh, I can't do this because like Food Wars did it or like accidentally get, you know, inspiration from something that I saw there either because I wanted the, them to be very separate. I actually did that with Iron Chef as well. You know, Iron Chef is what the tournament that mina is going through to become part of the battle chef brigade that's the, what it's based on um mm -hmm. and i watched a little bit of it to get the chairman common in our game rather than chairman kaga um his voice down because he actually announces and tells you your theme ingredient for the match and everything so i watched a few episodes to kind of get his voice but i really wanted common to become his own character and speak with his own voice and not just be a reflection of Chairman Kaga. So I, I never wanted basically anything to pollute. Maybe pollute isn't the right word because that sounds like the things that I'm pulling from are bad, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I didn't want anything tampering with Victuja and the vision of what Battle Chef Brigade is. So where did you actually find um... I don't want to say inspiration, but I guess, like, where did, where did you find, like, the content? Like, what did you, like, uh, use as a resource to, like, help write for this, you know, game? Because I know, I know, like, a creator, I know sometimes, like, you hear, like, musicians say, too, like, oh, like, when I'm trying to write an album, like, I don't listen to anybody else's music. Because, like, I don't want my, like, I don't want my project to be, like, affected by somebody else's, you know, sound, per se. Yeah, I, I did a lot of stuff, actually. Um, I did a lot of just reading different, like, culinary blogs and stuff like that. I watched a lot of, uh, like, Chef's Table, a lot of Great British Baking Show. I also, when I went out to eat, just, like, as a person, you know, my partner and I, we would go out and I would say, like, oh, can I talk to the chef about this? Or I would really pay attention to the menu and really 
see what went well together, how people talked about food, both like the technical terms, the technical culinary terms, and also the more personal stories they would tell about making their cuisine. Um, and those were the things that really gave me inspiration. Interesting. That's really cool. I was just about to bring that up, X, the fact that it sounds like it sounds like the same exact thing that writers do of music. I know that like sometimes artists will come to me and they'll say, hey, I want this to sound like Kid Cudi, this song. And that's always tough because it's like, ah, I know that song. Like, so I got to make sure that even though I'm referencing it, I'm not actually putting the same instruments or putting the same lines in there because people, people will notice. People always yeah. notice someone will make a meme and draw a parallel and it'll it'll hurt what you're doing. So um, I relate to that 1,000%. I think that's really cool. Um, did you do any cooking yourself? Yes. Yes. Uh, one of the silly things that <laughs> we did was uh, we, my partner and I made a macaroni and cheese tasting night. Um, so we got a bunch of different like fancy cheeses and beers and we put them together in, and made like different cheese sauces and tried them with different types of noodles. And it was just, it was very fun. Um, so, and we also would do things like go to breweries or things like that, just like extra fun stuff. Uh, but in terms of like baking and doing that sort of thing. I didn't do a ton of baking, which I have a background in actually Wart, really? uh, one of the characters in the, in the game, he, his like improvisational baking style is heavily based on the way that I bake because I'll follow a recipe once. Uh, and then after that, I'm like, okay, I know all the base elements. So now I'm just going to freestyle this. And like most of the time it's fine. And some of the times it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> that's the chance you take. <laughs> Baking is not supposed to be the freestyle one, so mad respect to you for that. That's supposed to be the <laughs> one that's like, okay, you need exactly two tablespoons, and it can't be rounded, and it can't be to the left. It's got, it's like, for you to be able to freestyle, that is really, really cool. So, mac and cheese night, I might have to baker. steal from you, by the way. Oof. Do you have a patent yes, on do that? It. Can I no, use do that? it. Okay. Everyone should do it. I'm doing it. Lactose intolerance and all, I'm doing it. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah, we won't get into cheese it. Cheese is so good. Oh, man, Maybe I'm like cashew up. cheese. That stuff is amazing too. I like cashew cheese. It just doesn't melt all the way, always. It just it mm. sometimes clumps, and I don't like it. But the diet cheese block um, has been doing me justice, and I haven't had any issues um, getting that like to melt down and to make cheese sauces. So I like I like the diet, and I don't think that's cashew. That's like some type of oil. That I can't think of the name oh. of at the moment. Um, I have to look that up. Regardless, that's cool. So mac and cheese night, you did some cooking. Um, you're developing these characters. What was the most like difficult character to write for? That was Simon. Simon, I could not get right. And I don't know why. He, he just never spoke to me quite the way that the others did. So I would like turn in drafts to Eric, our creative director, and like he would be like, love this, love this, love this, and then he would kind of get to Simon and he'd be like, okay, this still isn't quite the way that Simon is. And I would be like, damn it, not again. <laughs> um, 
his voice was very different than what I'm used to because like we were very invested in making sure that Mina and Simon had a supportive relationship, but not an overtly romantic one. Um, so it was hard, especially as a woman, I feel like female friendships, you sort of get to say more like lovey cutesy things to each other and have it be normal. So sometimes I would send a draft to Eric and he would be like, now it just seems like they're in love. And I'm like, oh no, that's literally stuff I've said to my best friends and it was totally normal. Um, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> there was that. Um, <laughs> so I didn't know how to be like a, I guess on the male side of like a male, female presumed heterosexual friendship. Mm. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, those really... And Xavier, I know you're going to give your piece on this, but those really are hard to do slash non-existent. In a lot of cases, it's hard. I mean, Xavier, you have one female best friend, and, like, sometimes I think it. I don't understand how it works. Like, I look very confused when I met her. Like, why? how does this work? Why does this work? So I can understand that. Yeah, it is. It is. Difficult. But I think, I think, I think when you have a best friend of the opposite sex, though, it's easier for you to kind of, like, think when, like, in their shoes in a way. Like, I mean, we will never know, like, how women think, and women will never know, like, how we think. But I think that's the best way to get close enough to, you know, attempting to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's nice to have, like, more representations of that sort of thing so people can see, like, no, this is, this is normal, like... People, you know, can can be friends with people who aren't their gender, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I agree. That's really cool. I do think um, I do think that would be difficult for me as well, trying to write for um, a relationship I wasn't necessarily um, sure how it worked in the first place, as you just heard. So that would be tough. I can understand kind of like this is how I would do it. And it's like, maybe that's not how it works for other people, but you haven't thought about that. So I can understand that. Yeah. I I definitely learned something about like, okay, so supportive friendships like look a little bit different depending on who the speaker is. Right. Right. That's hmm. crazy. Who was the easiest character to write for then? Ooh, if that that's exists. tough actually. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe easy is not the right word. Um, who was the most, I guess, enjoyable? The one you feel like I'm really nailing, like, the direction that I want on this, and I'm not butchering it. I feel like that's Thorn all the way. I I love everything about Thorn. Um, <laughs> she's, she's, by and large, my favorite. Um, she just has a very specific way that she talks. I have this whole, like, backstory for her that I can't tell yet, but um, I, I hope to some point at the future because it's very, it's it's actually a lot more, as you might suspect, depressing than a lot of Battle Chef is. Um, but Thorne's had kind of a hard life, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I like kind of playing that for humor in, in some instances. She's, like, the closest that we get to, like, dark comedy in, in the game. Ah, okay. Dark comedy. Ah, I don't 
I don't do dark comedy well. I don't get it. So that's uh. What is dark comedy? Like basically, generally comedy that comes out of like, you know, angst or like a difficult past or things like that. So like, comedy that is could potentially be like more just depressing. Right. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So I've had like a lot of silly, like dumb, depressing things happen in my life that I like to kind of make fun at. Uh, so it's it's kind of nice to have that outlet in Thorn a little bit as well. Man, I need to I need to really see this stuff in so action. I would like to. It, it it sounds like yeah, you said therapeutic X. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I mean, I, I look at, I view her as an artist, though. I mean, I view you as an artist. I feel like for all artists, you know, how you guys uh, create your art is therapeutic. I mean, for most artists, at least, you know, when you think about painters, you know, musicians, you know, game designers, you know, writers, screenplay, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like any form of art, a lot of times I think it's therapeutic. I mean, even I feel like simply drawing or painting for me is just therapeutic. So, Yeah, absolutely. It was really nice to um, do Mina's family as sort of this like very functional, very supportive unit because my family is like not that way. So just kind of having and Thrash too. Thrash's fatherhood is very much based in something that I'm like, oh, I wish that I had had this thing. So there's a lot of that too. A lot of like, oh, I wish that my family had been more like this. So it's like therapeutic to be like this. This is what a healthy family looks like right That's sorry i got dark guys i didn't mean to no no oh, no you're fine <laughs> you're fine i mean I'm we sure. all can relate to that yeah i was just gonna say we've all got dark past that you know i definitely as a musician and engineer um constantly am, am getting my dark past and dark things out so um i guess it's just not as straightforward music is so open to be interpreted um whereas like when you're writing, you're you're trying to portray something more concrete, um, and I think that's what. Again, going back to the George interview, we kind of were speaking on that, like um, the subjectivity that comes in audio versus what you're saying now. I don't. It's you want it to be understood the same way across the board. You want more objectivity than. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you want to have more people understanding the story in the same way. Yeah, to an extent, I guess it's it's tough because like with writing, yeah, there's sort of a specific goal that you're supposed to accomplish. But it's not like I don't necessarily want everyone to experience Battle Chef the same way that I did. Like, for instance, um, I have a, a friend of mine who played the game um and she actually decided to go to rehab and she told me about it afterwards about her experience and, and why she had decided to do that and she was like it's that moment where mina loses everything um and i i didn't want that to happen to me and and like i i cried for like days <laughs> like i i couldn't believe that that had happened you know what i mean that 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 had affected someone so much and like made them make a good choice and a healthy choice in their life. Um, and certainly I never expected that at all. I never expected anyone to look at that 
plot point, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Important as it was to me and to Mina, I, I never thought anyone would look at that and, and change their own life because of it. Wow. Yo, that that is really heavy. We getting more and more heavy, but this is good. I like this. This is this is the <laughs> things that you don't get to hear about in the behind the scenes stuff. That's that's really cool actually that you can inspire somebody like that. I see I didn't know that. I thought it was more of an objective thing. It's it's clearly not. Man, yeah, I want to see it's this. It's crazy. Process. This is nuts. <laughs> so did you random question? Yes. You you had this whole Trinket Studios Adult Swim thing going on. Where did you actually work on this? Was it in your normal office? Did you work on this from home? So I did a bit of both. I was definitely, for the most part, at William Street in our normal like Adult Swim office. Um, but I also worked on it from home a lot just because it was nice to sort of be away from the office for a minute and really have time to focus on exactly what I was doing since it was still kind of apart from the rest of what everybody else was doing. Because um, mostly I was, you know, interfacing with Eric, uh, the creative director, um, and not everybody else in, in my office quite as much. Interesting. So they let you be in an environment where you can be just creative as hell. Yeah, which was super, super nice. Yeah, that's cool. That never happens. Where does that happen at? Apparently where you work at. That's where I need to be at. Yes. <laughs> I have another random question, though, due to the fact that you've worked, you know, you work for Adult Swim. You know, what is your favorite Adult Swim cartoon? I mean, there's so many out there from over the years. So I'm just kind of curious. It is Moral Oral, 100%. <laughs> we go back to the dark humor. We're right back. Yes. <laughs> Yo. That's funny. Yep. There's so many out there. I mean, she could even win Oblongs. I feel like Oblongs is like really kind of dark if you think about that show, too. The show was funny as hell, but it was kind of dark a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what about you guys? Do you have a favorite? Uh, go ahead, Corey. Oh, man, that's hard. I have three in my head. I'm just trying to like decide. Um, Man, um... Well, technically, as of right now, Rick and Morty is Adult Swim, right? Yes. Yeah, that's most people's favorite for sure. So for right man, now, mine, man. and I, I, I got to watch, watch the newest season. Um, so I've been ducking and dodging people talking about it. But uh, Rick and Morty would be my now favorite. And if I had to go back and choose like a favorite from back in the day, I'd have to go Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh, it's so good. So crazy, good. crazy. So imagine <laughs> imagine me not knowing what that was and turning on the TV. And I'm sitting here for the first, I think, 15 minutes. Like, what am I watching? Like, this is dumb. The first thing I ever said about this, so this is stupid. I don't know who made this. This yes. is dumb. And then 30 minutes later, I'm still watching it, talking about this is stupid. Why am I watching this? This is this is dumb. And it's it's one of them shows where, like, you be hooked and you don't even know it. And I just, I fell in love with it immediately. So, Aqua Team for me. What about you, X? It would probably be, like, right now, yeah, Rick and Morty probably be my favorite right now. But I would probably say Adventure Bros. Like, I don't know why, but that show was just so funny to me, like, growing up. Like, I loved Adventure Bros. I like that it's one. It's an amazing show. I just love the monarch. He's just so dumb. 
Yeah, the monarch <laughs> is like easily my favorite character in that show. I, I always struggle with his uh his what is it his wife, his fiance because of Dr. the dude. girlfriend. Yes, the yeah. dude voice. It always like it just it throws me for a loop every time. Like you you want to be like like for, you want to be like yo for everything that we make fun of monarch for he actually has like a, a good looking girl by his side but then like would you like that voice though like how does he get past that like he is like <laughs> deathly like in love with this this woman and that voice just does not work so i just it's funny yeah was boondocks on adults yes y- yeah boondocks is one of my favorites too uh, boondocks is in my top three for sure for sure Riley is probably easily one of the funniest like characters. Yeah, and those fight scenes, man, they were so beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. the fight scenes were always funny when uh, Grandpa fought uh, Stink Stink Meaner. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta stop talking about that show. I love that show, man. My parents loved that show. That's the funny thing about it. Like, my dad bought that set on DVD. He still watches that show to this day, like a 50-year-old. Like, he loves... Yeah, he loves Boondocks. That's amazing. Yeah, that's actually pretty dope. Your dad might be cooler than I thought he was. Yeah, man. That's pretty dope. What other... What other ones... What are we missing? We didn't really name any animes. Are you into anime? I don't watch as much anymore. I still, the only anime that I'm currently watching is Dragon Ball Super. Oh, But I used to be, like, huge into anime. (laughs) That's really good. That's what I'm watching right now, too. Oh, God. Are you sad it's ending? What do you think's going to happen to Jiren? What do you you think's going to (sighs) happen? I don't know. It's probably going to be some, like, dumb Goku bullshit at the last second. You know what I mean? Like, like he's just, like... It's so it's so predictable. I just told somebody that. I was like, man, the DBZ writers are so predictable. Like, Goku always saves the day. Like, it's so annoying. Like, yes. change it up. And it was so sad, too, because it looked like they were actually going to go in a new direction with the, like, tournament that they just did, where they were kind of setting it up like Goku was actually going to be kind of a villain for once. Like, his whole, I just want to fight things forever was going to blow up in his face because he started this tournament that could get universes destroyed. And then they were like, oh, no, we were going to destroy those anyway. So Goku's still totally cool. Don't worry. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really like that either. Because the dynamics of this tournament was no one was really uh, a good or bad guy. It was just the guys who are the most powerful beings were like, hey, we just want to see y'all fight. And if you don't fight, we're going to kill y'all. So it brought a way different perspective. I did like, though, the fact that with this Dragon Ball Super, the DBZ Warriors have been getting their ass beat because you never really see that much. Like, remember yeah. uh, Black Goku? Like, he was beating the hell out of them for the longest. What? I'm yes. so lost. I need to watch this. I'm so lost. I want to watch it. But... I just feel like I can't continue to watch them shit on Vegeta like that because I think we all yeah. know Vegeta is probably, hey, he's one of my favorite fighters and maybe I'm biased, but I feel like sometimes they kind of play him like a kid and then I didn't like how the Saiyans became the main focus and everybody started to get so dumb strong that no one else really could, like, we're just here for support. We're going to clap in the back here. You guys just change your hair yellow a couple different ways and i'll see you tomorrow like no i didn't like that like when is piccolo going save the day or you know what i mean i don't know maybe i'm just yes 
No, I agree 100%. Like, I love Piccolo, and I would love to have seen more of him. You see him a little bit in this tournament, but he never gets to do anything super cool. Um, and then, like, Android 18, I love. Um, you see 17 her a little. too. I love 17, too, but it's, yeah. like, I also, since she's, like, one of the only women that ever gets to do anything, mm. uh, yeah. I always love it when she's around. And then Kale, of course, was, like, yeah. my favorite thing ever oh yeah i forgot about them yeah they they had a uh they had two super saiyan um women and one of them man she she was basically the female version of brawley like you know when brawley would go super saiyan he would just lose all control mm. but that 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 uh part of the series was really dope but i kind of do agree like i felt like i thought that they could have did so much more with the story here like you know, I thought they could have finished the tournament off and, you know, wished the other universes back and went to, you know, the Saiyan universe. Like, I thought, like, that's where they were going to go. Because, you know, they kept saying, you know, Vegeta was like, oh, I don't want to let them down. You know, like, I feel like I'm the I'm the Saiyan prince. Like, I can't let people down. So, I mean, there's just so many different, I feel like, directions they could have went. Like, I don't like how they're ending it either. Yeah, mm. I agree. Do you guys feel like that the... the I felt like this as a kid. I felt like the the Dragon Balls were a right what were, were like a writing cop out. If they ever messed up in the writing of the show and someone got mad or the fans didn't like it, they could write in some Dragon Ball wishes and kind of return the story to where it was good. And I hated that. Mm. Like why I didn't like the Dragon Ball thing because they heavily rely on the Dragon Balls. Never to thought like about it the story. like that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with that, especially because, like, they would put limits on the Dragon Balls, and then they'd be like, actually, now there are new Dragon Balls. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, but... <laughs> that kind of takes all meaning out of what you were saying. Yeah, it's like... Like, these are the new Super Dragon Balls, which are the size of Earth. Yeah, <laughs> and they can grant any wish, including immortality and making you powerful than a god. And then, okay, fine, whatever, fuck you. <laughs> right we just went through we just watched you know one of our favorite characters die or you know they've completely written them off and it's like well if you had dragon balls we could have wished piccolo to be part saiyan or something and give him yellow hair and now he'd be in the story still or something i don't i don't know i just the dragon balls always kind of made me angry yeah and also like death is meaningless yeah yeah I think the thing that made me, um, that pissed me off probably the most with this is they brought Frieza back, but it was like nothing really changed with him. It was kind of the same as remember when he came back and they found him floating in Earth and his dad put him back together and then Trunks just cut him up like some cheese and then that was it. It's kind of the same story again. Like he came back, yeah, he got stronger, but he doesn't train. So he's just been like running his mouth the whole time. And then finally he fought someone that was strong and they beat the hell out of him. Like it was, it was bad, man. Like, it was like really, really bad. Like, cause in the tournament you can't kill or you get kicked out, but this dude literally beat Frieza to the, the point of where he was like, I'm giving you your last breath. Like just live. I don't want to get kicked out of the tournament, but I, I really felt that they should have bought sale back. Like, I feel like they should have brought sale. Like I feel like that could have went on a whole nother dimension with that. Mm. Cause in a tournament, if you think about it, like he could have actually eaten people because they wouldn't have died. They just would have been became a part of him and probably got stronger. Like I just feel like they could have, that would have been just, I think more exciting, but that's just, maybe I'm asking for too much. You might be. Yeah. <laughs> 
my partner was actually making that exact point the other night, so I totally agree. Ooh, so maybe that's a maybe that's oh like God. a little theory y'all got going. I just feel like they played it safe. Like before the tournament started, I feel like Dragon Ball Super, everything was new. Like we weren't used to seeing some of that stuff. Like like I said, the like Goku and Vegeta were taking some really big L's. Like the gods were the ones that were actually saving them. Yeah, they were really they were losing and then it came to the tournament and it was just like, oh, we're gonna just do the typical thing. Yeah. Like the fighting scenes and stuff have been have been great, but it's just like eh, it got really dull. Absolutely. So question, another Dragon Ball Z question. I swear this is my last one. So Saiyans <laughs> no. have a new a new Saiyan form with the blue hair? Yeah. Yes. Yo, Dragon Ball Z is corny. Yeah. That's Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan 2. What? Come on. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Really? <sighs> yep. And then two to to go back to your Vegeta point is when they fight uh, with the God of Destruction, Angel, he teaches them how to become like God level uh, far as Super Saiyan form. But then he says, Vegeta, you have always been stronger than Kakarot the entire time. Like he was like, your anger is what has distracted you, but you've been stronger than him the entire time. So they put this into the show, but then they never run with it. You know what I mean? Like they dropped that gem and then they just never ran with it after that. It was just like, we're going to keep Vegeta you know, arrogant, and he's going to continue to stay angry, and Goku will always be the strongest. Like, I was like, why would you put that in the show if you're not going to do anything with it? Like, it was so pointless. Yeah. No mm. payoff whatsoever. Which is too bad. I would have liked to see Vegeta, like, do some shit. Yeah. Uh, Simply put, that's actually the best way to put it, to do some shit. Do something. That's what I was saying yes. when Gohan retired. Bro, do something. Oh my god, I know. He's, he's terrible now. It's bad. It's he was my favorite. <laughs> he was everyone's favorite. Team Gohan was so was such a was such a dope character and he became an adult and just yeah, he's up. We got off on a tangent. I don't even know where we left off. Um <laughs> I'm I, not sure either. I definitely wanted to ask you about Xavier and I since we were um we have like a little pre-production meeting and on one episode, and, and still to this day, we talk constantly about, and you mentioned it earlier, um, EA's loot box, um, pay for weapons kind of system. Um, how do you feel about that? Now that you're, you've, you've kind of taken a swan dive into the, the, the game developing side of things, and, and that's, that's your career, like what, how do you feel about that? Does that work? Are we mad at loot boxes? Should we I mean, be mad? I think that people are definitely upset about them. Um, I think that it makes sense, like, the kind of evolution that we've come to, like, from microtransactions to loot boxes and et cetera. But I don't necessarily know that I agree with it as a tactic. I, I do see what people are saying about it being potentially predatory. I don't have any, like, past problems with gambling, so I feel like I don't... I don't really know because I don't have the experience, but if people who do are saying like, hey, I have a problem and I've literally spent like my life savings on this game, I don't know that it's 100% the developer's fault, but it is something that needs to be considered when you're making your game. Um, I believe in trying to do things, I guess, I don't want to say the right way because that sounds like I'm so on my high horse, but just trying to think about people and trying to make sure that you're being like respectful and helpful. <laughs> Right. 
Right. Okay, interesting. I, I actually have a um, sub question to that. Do you think from the narrative, like designer and, and writer perspective that companies are kind of like using loot boxes as like a cop out to, you know, I guess make the gameplay as like best it, as it should and make the story as vivid and detailed as it should. Cause I think we noticed this with um, Ghost Recon, like the scenery was really dope, like very beautiful game, like the story, the overview story you thought like, oh man, like the way they would tell the story, you know, in the cinematic, you know, um, you know, little videos like, oh, this is going to be a really dope game. But then eventually you get to it and it was like, man, this game is like really repetitive, a lot of loot boxes. And it's like, man, like the game wasn't really like fully developed in a way, I guess I could say. So, I mean, do you think it's like hurting that area of games? I think it depends. And I haven't played Ghost Recon, but I think it definitely can, right? Like if you think that like there are a lot of different genres but if you think that you can kind of cut corners by being like okay if we uh you know put this loot box element in and then get like a bunch more money through this and then we'll kind of put in something more narrative based or you know something like that that would definitely be a shitty way of doing it um i can't speak to the way that like that game was actually developed or anything but certainly i, I don't like the idea of putting in loot boxes just to get money then to then later deliver a product that you kind of already promised. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right, yeah. right. Because I think that was a big thing with uh, Battlefront. Like, I forgot all the numbers, but that was a huge thing. Like, you basically were having to pay to get, you know, a lot of things that people felt should have came with the game from, like, characters to actual, like, unlocking more of the story. Like, all a lot of this stuff was, like, they're about to make you pay. And then I think, like, Disney's, like... CEO or something stepped in and it was like a big it was like a big thing But basically like a lot of people were starting to say like hey, man, like EA like what are you guys doing? So I think like a lot of that maybe like what do you say is Corey like their last like two or three like big titles I know it was just like loot mm -hmm. bot heavy Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. the um, battlefield one battlefront two um, What was another one? I don't know if the Madden Series is like that per se. I no. know. Oh, no, they do have loot boxes in um Madden, they're uh oh yeah with the gameplay cards. Yeah, so in Madden, um, that's like their biggest titles. The last couple ones that have come out have all been kind of loot box esque. So I, I, I'm yeah. glad Disney stepped in and was like, "Hey, cut it out," because um, it even if you don't have an addictive personality, it can be addicting and i was trying to explain this to somebody and they were like well you just got to be smart i was like okay you were you consider yourself to be smart and think about how when you were a young person how you thought yes you're smart you know you don't have money but you still had a gang of pokemon cards like and that's just a gamble you don't know what's gonna come but you still bought them like you bought them every single time you got a chance until you had a collection of like 300 but you cl claim to be like fruit, like it can get anybody. It's like if it seems appealing yeah. or cool, like, like it can get anybody. It doesn't have to just be people with problems. Because I know I don't have a problem, but we bought weapons in Battlefield 1 because I didn't feel like dumping all the hours and we were getting just murdered every round. It was like, I don't know what gun that is. Someone please help me. Uh, because I don't, like, I can't 
stand up against it? I think it's tough. I think it's going to be one of the things that really propels like the industry forward, like talking about this, because on the one hand, you have consumers who are kind of used to like, I can buy a game for $5 when it's on sale on Steam and developers who are like, we also need to eat though. Um, but then you also have like larger, you know, companies kind of using it as a way to more cynically make shit tons of money. Um, so it's just finding the actual balance between like, yes, you know, we actually do a really hard job. Like we work a lot of hours and we put a lot of effort into our work and we want to be compensated fairly, but also making sure that you're not taking advantage of the people you're making the content for. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it for sure. What was a game we used to play, man, in college um, with the loot boxes? Uh, Borderlands? Is that what you're talking about? Borderlands. I think the way Borderlands did it was cool. Like, it it brought meaning and brought substance to the game. But I feel like, like you said, like a lot of companies are just, like, throwing it in there. And I think, too, I don't even think it's more of us hardcore gamers or some of us gamers that are coming from, like you saying, the Lord of Warcraft or just, like, you know, like the Final Fantasies, just some of those like older games. I think it's just with, I feel like some of the newer um, consumers or like younger kids, maybe the kids that they're targeting right now, it's just like, oh, like I can, you know, buy 2K and have a 99 player within an hour if I just put $40 in it. Like you don't really have to like work for it anymore. You remember like when we were younger, a lot of times, like we bought guides, like we actually had to work to beat the games. So, I don't know, maybe just the culture of gaming is changing in a way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like monetization is one of those things that I I don't have as much expertise as I should. And I feel like someone smarter and more educated than me needs to figure it out. But I, I still have thoughts, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we know what you mean. We definitely know what you mean because we got our thoughts. And you bringing up the developers have to eat. Um, do you consider yourself a developer? And, and, Ooh, and that's tough. Let me, uh, let me preface that with, we had a discussion where I think sometimes people think when you say developer, there's a room full of like hundreds and hundreds of people working on every little intricate piece when it's not always like that. Sometimes like in George's case, it was him working on sound design and he kind of just had to figure it out. He didn't have like a huge team but he had to dump hours into it and he deserves the credit he gets for that game. Cause it sounds, it sounds dope. Um, and the same thing goes for your writing. Like, I don't know, you probably were not the only writer of course, but you had a huge part in that. So do you consider yourself a developer? It's hard because I technically work for a publisher for battle chef. I, I actually am the only writer. Um, oh. So, like, Eric, of course, is creative director. Some of the lines in the game are his, and he helps, like, decide what the writing looks like. Uh, but as far as, like, writer in title, I am the only one. Um, but I, I would say that on Battleshef, I worked as a developer. Uh, but it's also tough because, like, I'm, I'm not a programmer, and I think sometimes that gets confusing too like you don't want to make someone think like i wouldn't want to accidentally take credit for like ben or tom's work as programmers by saying that i'm a developer 
So it's like really, <laughs> it's just kind of a confusing thing. Like, mm. I guess it would depend on the context. Cause like I've, what I've realized sort of is that I like being on the development side more. Um, but I don't know that I would call myself a developer if asked. Is right. that because you um, get a little bit more like creative control, I'm assuming? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, building something from the ground up instead of kind of like coming in at a certain phase and then like helping from there. Um, it's it's just much more fun. It's much more what I want to do. Like I love world building. That's one of my favorite things to do. So I did a lot of that with Battle Chef, like making character backgrounds and deciding what, um, you know, Victuja actually looks like, the, the world of Battle Chef. Um, and what its history is and what the afterlife looks like, why orcs have markings, why they have weapons, uh, just like all kinds of different stuff, you know what I mean? So basically like any question that you could ask about our world, but just in a, in a fantasy setting. Hmm. So the creative side being detached from the term developer, I've never thought of that. I mean, I, I like that. That makes that makes sense, I guess. Um, it, in that same breath, when it comes to, and you don't have to tell me how much you make or anything like that, but as far as payment goes, um, developers, I don't, do developers get paid on the back end of things? Uh, so it depends on how you are doing it. So, like, you can choose to go with a publisher uh, to develop your game, and you and the publisher will come to terms together. And usually that has something to do with, like, you get payments attached to milestones. Um, so the milestones would be, like, determined between you and your publisher. But it might be something like you get X number of dollars at alpha and X at beta, um, X at content complete, or, you know, things like that. Mm. Um I feel like I forgot what exactly what your question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> so just like as far as I, and I haven't gotten into the, the full part of it, but you, because you said, as you said, developers have to eat. So um, if if everyone gets paid kind of like in that milestone kind of marker, um, do you feel like you get lumped in with the developers like it's the same team almost? Or, or do you feel like when you're doing it, it's all like a separate entity, like you guys are all doing such different things that you don't really cross paths at all? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what part of the industry you're in, too. Because, like, for instance, if you're a developer, like I said, who goes with a publisher, like, that's kind of when you'd be paid. And then normally you'll have some kind of, like, rev share uh, with a publisher. Uh, whereas if you just like do everything on your own, then like all the money is yours, but then also all the upfront costs are yours. So that's anything from like submitting to certification for uh, platforms like Sony or Nintendo, which can be thousands of dollars. Um, and like all of your, you know, employee costs and everything like that. Uh, but then of course, like once, once the game's out, you make every dollar that, make uh which is generally not the case if you decide to do a with a publisher but yeah. then if you're on the publisher side of things you're generally making like a salary you know what i mean from a larger company like for instance i at adult swim have a salary from adult swim 
Okay, so that's okay. So that's what I was trying to to um get into a little bit more was whether like because when these loot boxes and things come out, we we want to support developers, but it, it's not always like that. So it's kind of like films. Like sometimes people who work in films don't get paid until after it comes out. Um, sometimes they get paid a little beforehand, like you said, in increments. So um, in in your case, working with a publisher, um, you had a salary. So let's say if, if Battleship Brigade puts out a, a DLC content of some kind, do you all of a sudden get a check that arrives like, hey, um, we need like since you helped with this DLC content or you helped develop this, like here's some more money kind of thing. Or do they just do it and yeah. then it goes directly to them? No. Yeah, I would not like basically the game can succeed or like do, you know, whatever. Uh, and none of the additional money will come to me because I have a I have a salary with a company. Uh, but, you know, the money does, of course, go to the actual developer. So, like, Trinket Studios mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, the other, like, contractors, uh, depending on, like, what work they do on that and what those contracts look like, because I, I have no idea. <laughs> but basically, you know, um, they see that money. That's really so good. For, to hear. like, loot boxes, I haven't ever worked at a studio that did them, uh, but my guess about them would be that some of the money does go to like the publisher, whoever it is. Uh, but some of the money also will go to the developers to help like fund their studios so that they can continue to make content. That's good. That's really good to hear. Cause we, we often don't know who that money is going to. Like I'm all for buying DLC content. If I know it's going to somebody to feed, feed them at the end of the day, you know, uh, I think that's, that's really noble especially if you support something um just a couple bucks goes a long way so um that's that's really that's really good to hear i don't know x how you feel about it, but i was actually worried about that like i wonder if these companies are just saying hey you develop this and then after a certain point we don't pay you i mean it's it's kind of back to the the music the music industry as well as is as we all on here know kind of what probably hollywood as well like you know what the music industry is kind of hard like people uh at one point were like oh you're not supporting the artists if you don't buy them buy their albums but then it comes out like oh this artist is in a terrible 360 deal so the albums that we're buying they're not seeing none of this money you know this money only goes to the label heads so you know it's, it's one of those things it's just like like she said it's, it's kind of it's it's kind of relative it's kind of subjective it's kind of probably dependent on the actual project because like as we know there's some some artists we buy their albums they actually get the money whereas there's other artists who is like if we want to support them you actually have to go to their concerts you know buy merchandising i don't know i guess it's just probably something we just probably have to keep an eye for because i'm the same i definitely want to support developers i'm all for supporting former former artists yeah yeah and i would say like a lot of the bigger studios too you know most of those games are actually made by uh developers that they've bought so it's like, you know, Blizzard made Overwatch, of course. So the money that you spend on the game does go, you know, to the people who actually made it. Um, and some of it probably goes to like Blizzard corporate or whatever that looks like as well. Um, but yeah, I would say like when you're trying to be like ethical as a player and a consumer, like 
you know, make a purchase every once in a while just to be nice. Like when I played Guild Wars 2, um, they didn't charge a monthly subscription fee like World of Warcraft does, uh, but I would make sure to buy something in-game like every month or two so that I was still supporting the people who made it. But, you know, you know, doing something kind within your means every once in a while is always awesome. And some people will also have, like, Patreons and things like that that you could always support. Good. That's that's good to know. That's really good to know. We got to support these developers. I didn't know about the Patreon thing. That's dope that people are uh, almost gathering money from the crowd. That's good. I like that. <laughs> we are at 80 minutes. Oh, geez. I'm so sorry. No. That this is what we oh, want. No. This is kind of what no. we want. Um, I am free to to continue asking you questions, but I, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what your frustration level is with Overwatch. Um, so, um, X, do you have any more questions that you feel like we missed? Um, no. I feel like we pretty much asked everything. Okay. Um, I know that George spoke on uh, real briefly um, the the amount of time the game took to to make. Can you speak on, I guess, um, before we let you go, like your time commitment in being a narrative designer for maybe somebody who would want to get into it? Like what time, type of time commitment could they be looking at if they get uh, contracted uh, to do a game? Yeah, so... Um I actually came into Battle Chef very late in the game. Like I said, they were looking for a writer because basically Eric, the creative director, he's also the the artist on the game. And if you've seen, you know, the art, it's incredibly um, just detailed and beautiful. And he realized he couldn't also write the game. <laughs> so some of the writing was already completed, and I was originally brought on just to create the Thrash campaign, um, but we realized while working on that, that actually the whole game needed to go back and be reworked. So I was responsible for Mina Thrash and the finale. Um, and that, I would say that Battle Chef is about a 12 hour game when you're playing it. I've seen like different people say different things, uh, in terms of gameplay time, but I'd say about 12 hours of gameplay. And so for 12 hours of gameplay, I spent... I guess six months in total time, but the bulk of my writing was done in two months. That was when like the core campaigns and everything were made. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this like old adage that writing is rewriting and that's especially true of games. So one thing I would say to people who are new to game writing as opposed to like other mediums is that iteration is gonna be key. So you might write something and love it and it's great and then you put it into the game and you realize oh crap they're talking for like 30 minutes and no gameplay is being done um, and then you have to like go back and make sure that you have like a really nice distribution there that there isn't too much talking that there's enough action that what you've written actually bolsters the gameplay in a significant way um, so that is where the bulk of the work actually is in, in iteration and revision. That makes that kind of lines up with what George was saying. I think he was a part of it before the re revamp kind of happened. 
Um, and yes. they went back and they changed some things uh, for the better, of course. That's not us speaking down on Trinket Studios. I don't want that to be the the uh, feeling here. But, you know, you go back and you rewrite and they kind of changed the vibe of um, a couple things. And it sounds like that was kind of even you coming in late in the game that was still happening. So you can say that it's normal to go through troubles, I guess. Or not even troubles. Oh, like, yeah. But just rewrites and, and reworks and people changing their minds. Like, that stuff is kind of normal. Yeah, and, like, especially for, like, writers and, and all creatives, really. Like, you should never take revision as, like, a failure. Because it's 100% expected and good. Like, you never want your first draft to be what goes into the game. If that's what happens, like, something's wrong. Mm. Uh, because, like, no matter how wonderful a writer you are iteration is, is something that's necessary um so don't feel like don't be precious about your work remember that everyone's trying to make the best game possible and remember that it it's totally first of all fun because you get to go back and, and rewrite and rethink um but also super necessary to do those kinds of revisions yeah that that line you use not being precious about your work they teach us that in the audio world, too, because too often you find people like, no, I really want this piano line here. It's like you can't have a piano and electric piano playing at the same time, though, man. Like you got to choose or move some stuff around. Like So it's like you can't be overly um, protective of what you have and be open to change. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, I don't want to keep you too long. I feel like we, we done had you for like, what, an hour and a half now. Is there anything in closing that you would like to to mention either about yourself or Battle Chef Brigade? Any, like, social media things you want to shout out? Anything like that? Well, I would say definitely follow uh, at Trinket Studios and at Battle Chef Game if you're interested in learning more about it. Uh, the game's out now, um, and we may have some surprises coming later in the year, so keep your eyes peeled. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, just thank you guys so much for having me. It was wonderful meeting both of you. 